This is Lit and Lucid, your after-work de-stress smoke sesh podcast. I'm your host, Lit. And I'm your host, Lucid, and we're going to take you on a journey. A journey to discover the truth and find the balance. Every week, we get deep on those thought-provoking topics that ooze out of the cannabis universe. But we also keep it real by illuminating important issues and people in today's culture. So kick back. Consume your favorite cannabis products and get cozy in the the Lit and Lucid lifestyle. What's up, everybody? We are here. We are finally at episode 100. Lucid and I have been working on this show for over two and a half years, and we have finally hit our 100th episode. And today we have a very, very special guest, uh, Jim Belushi. He obviously everybody knows him. There's no need to introduce him, but he has a new show, Growing Belushi, out on the Discovery Channel, which is a three-part series. If you haven't checked it out, I highly recommend it. Um, but Jim, hey, we have tried to get you on the show numerous times in the past. Uh, third time's a charm, and we finally have you here. So welcome to the show. Yeah. Well, well I have I have been waiting for the hundredth episode. <laughs> uh, we made it. I want no, no, ninety six. No, no, I want a hundred. I want. 100. <laughs> Congratulations on your hundredth episode. That is just a, a milestone. That is terrific. That's a terrific number. I mean, we did according to Jim, and when we hit a hundred episodes, it was like woohoo, man! We had a party. We brought the cake out. We brought that guacamole and chips out on the stage. Yeah, it's a big. It's a monumental thing. Yeah, absolutely. And we were hoping for a party. Right. So we were hoping for a party, but uh, COVID happened. So we've got you, which I think is a little bit better. So yeah, it's all we're good. stoked. This is basically a party still in itself. So, yeah, if you're listening, go ahead and get the chips and guacamole out and we'll just I, I'm celebrate gonna go together. I'm going to go to the kitchen and get some. I made some guacamole last night and I bought some corn chips, gluten free, <laughs> just to have during this 100th episode celebration. Perfect. Had a, had a boy. <laughs> well, happy harvest, Jim. I know it's harvest season. I'm sure you guys are hard at work. And man, Lucy and I, sorry, Lit and I, we really love harvest season. So, you know, happy harvest. Well, thank you. It is the best time, isn't it? Oh, God, it's so great. And it's all this new good bud coming down. And how's your farm looking? Well, you know, we have, uh, we have a two uh, greenhouse light depth, you know, kind of an indoor situation. So we're in, you know, three month cycles on those two. And then we have 40 boxes of outdoor and these plants are 12 feet. I mean, they are huge. And we just last week cut the colas around the top, you know, all the big ones and cleaned out inside and we're letting the other ones the little babies, you know, the, the beer buds or not quite eight buds fill out a little bit with the, you know, with the mama's gone. So we have, um, we did that and the chocolate hash berry. So we got 24 boxes clean, hanging and dry. Yesterday they started trimming it. And now I have, uh, 24 more boxes on the other side of specific strains, you know, bubble mint, uh, uh, Afghani, uh, purple Afghani. We got a Captain Jack. We got uh, some Punta Rojos, Santa Marta Gold. You got those seeds. I was about to ask (laughs) about those. In your documentary, you guys went strain hunting. So now you've got some finished product. 
it's it, we we have uh, we planted the seeds, and you know the problem with these land race strains, especially from a different uh, climate, is uh, it takes time for these seeds to adapt to the different parallels, um, and they also are a lot more. Uh, they're a longer strain. I mean, I have one out there. The mango beach didn't even quite make it. It's not doing so well. The uh, Santa Marta gold is actually budding up. And the uh, Punta Rojos is like, where's the bud? Yeah. <laughs> and they yeah. warned me down there. They said it's a 14-week, you know, vegetation. It's like, oh, man, I can't put that on a commercial farm. Yeah, that's long. How crazy is it, though, that you know, the land race strains... You know, we've got so far away from land race in a way that, you know, cannabis has been bred for years underground and, and, you know, people say it's been bred for THC and we've kind of really got everything, a bunch of hybrids. So when you do introduce those land rates, it's like night and day almost. It's night and day and, and typically the land race strains aren't that high in THC. There's sometimes, you know, Captain Jack, uh, we've had plants of his that were, you know, 14, 15, 16 percent. but it's got five and a half percent uh, uh, terpenes, right? And and seventy two percent of that is myrcene, which is like an incredible part of the medicine. Uh, so the the actual effect of it is is crazy. I mean, it, it probably gets you higher than a twenty six percent THC with no terpenes. Right, and it makes you feel better. It makes your body feel better, and it's more healing. But you can't convince the consumer market; they want high THC. And yeah. Dispensaries, you bring in a sixty percent strain and say, "Hey, man, just try it." I'm telling you, it's great. This is very unique. It's land race, and they go, "Yeah, yeah, yeah," but I can't. I can't give you more money for it, and I can't sell it. Jim, you, I'm hoping that you can you could change the course with that. I'm hoping that this I'm, is it. I'm hoping that the, I'm, I'm trying to do that stuff in the TV show. Yeah, I was just going to say that people can watch your struggles, you know, with selling. You did exactly that. You went to, you know, those dispensaries and they didn't want to give you a higher price for your your cannabis. And that was frustrating for you. I mean, rightfully so, right? Well, <laughs> <laughs> you know, when we filmed that, it was right in the middle of the glut. You know, they, uh, you know, Croptober, as they call it. And, uh, you know, for years, these dispensaries have had their asses kicked by growers, you know. And when it became legal, the a reg, anyway, it, it switched. And the dispensaries had the power. And they busted everybody's ass every chance they got. It was like payback time. And yeah, it was six hundred, five hundred dollars a pound. Oh my gosh! Ouch! Unless you're a little family that has a grow, and the whole family is working, you know, and they go to go every day, and they, you know, and they can get it down to manufacturing a pound for a hundred and thirty dollars, hard cost. But most growers in a commercial situation, it's. You know, it's anywhere from three hundred to five hundred dollars a pound in mine, particularly because I'm building. Uh, it's closer to five hundred dollars a pound, so it's like, oh man, this is like break even stuff. 
even if, you know. And what's cool about all of that, and I think that, uh, you know, I used to work in the industry and spend a lot of time doing exactly what you were doing on the whole show. You know, I was even laughing that, you know, we had the, we wore the same shirt when you packaged everything up to throw it in the in the yellow hard-sided tubs and throw it in your Jeep. Dude, I had the yellow hard-sided tubs. I had the Jeep. I had the dress shirt. <laughs> I had the blue jeans. We were literally rocking it. And I think that's what made me so stoked to watch the documentary. It was like, this is it. This is exactly what I did. My parents watched it. We talked to somebody yesterday and they watched it. And it's like, that's it, guys. That's what the industry is. And I think part of that conversation know, well, should be that... We're doing it We're doing it on uh, Thursday, Friday. We're packing up the Explorer. There you go. We're, yeah. We're driving to Coos Bay. We're, we're dropping off, you know, God, I think 20 pounds. And then we're driving up to Portland. We're dropping off all different kinds of joints and and pounds. And yeah, you know, we pack a lunch. We're off. <laughs> <laughs> we got our favorite spot. We stop for cheeseburgers, and you know, it's fun. I'm loving it. I love that. Yeah, I think it's cool. I think it helps to kind of soften the tone with you know the public perception of it, and of course the stigma with cannabis. And I think. Not only does it help normalize cannabis, but it helps to normalize the industry. And I think you do. I'm incredibly impressed, Jim. You have learned a ton. And I think you've you know, become a, a really good impromptu speaker for the industry. You can address some of these struggles like you know, 280E and the fact that these dispensaries don't want anything under 20%. And it's like, well, you know, we understand the science. And that's not a thing, but that's a thing in the industry. Yeah, it, it, it is. And, you know... Listen, uh, farming has always been, you know, the breadbasket of America, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, and the laws kind of support farmers. So as a cultivator in a farming state, you know, our farm gets more breaks. We, we can write off the cost of producing goods. Dispensaries can't write a thing off because of the 280E. Their profit margin sucks. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's something that, you know, I think the public has to understand that it's you know, these people aren't really raking in dough, I think like the perception is that it's still a it's still a very much a new industry and one that, you know, between regulations and, and state lines and and everything kind of involved taxes and all that, it's not as like glamorous as it seems. It's a lot of work. Uh it, it's not only a lot of work, but you said it, it it's not the gold rush of money, you know. I mean, there may be a gold rush in playing the stock markets, you know, of cannabis that goes up and down. You buy a lot and you sell a lot. And, uh, but, man, the costs are incredible. Yeah, I was even reading an article that you were in recently and you were even talking. You're like, my goal is just to break even here, people. Like, break even. <laughs> that's this it. may be the year. I mean, <laughs> there I you go. My cousin Chris, you know, and we were going through numbers literally yesterday. And he was, hey. If this works and this works and this works and this works, okay, that's four things if this works and this works and this right. works, first of all. One of them, two of them are not. He goes, we can make twenty-five dollars to $75,000 profit this year. And I went, oh! Oh, man. Score. And you've been doing it for, what, five years now? <laughs> yeah, I think it's five, yeah. Yeah. So, see, I mean, this persistence. Is a, this is a long game. They're saying get rich quick. No. Well, it it is the long game, but it's the journey that's so satisfying. I mean, uh, I've been very fortunate. I've had a lot of purpose in my life with acting and with music, doing the Blues Brothers with Danny and 
I got a comedy group. We we played in Denver a few times, actually. An improv group. I, I've just been so fortunate. I've, I've just had a lot of fun. I've had a lot of moments of magic in my life, you know, uh, just by risking and having being available and being vulnerable on stage or in life. And when I fell into this, it's like, oh, magic. I mean, there is magic, you know, riding along with these beautiful feminine creatures of cannabis. And it has taken me on a personal journey that's just been, uh, it's just been meaningful and satisfying and purposeful. And then, of course, money will come. But I've always chased the magic. I've always chased the passion. And money always came, you know. Yeah. No, you, you seem happy. I think even in the show, I think that's what made it such a fun experience is that the whole show was like just happy. It was upbeat. I think you were very happy. It's clearly, per, you know, your purpose is like pouring out of you, man. I mean, and that's all great stuff, I think. And I, and I loved, uh, we listened to Weed and Grub episode and you talked about how you just kind of jumped in the industry and you're kind of letting the plant tell you what's next. Uh, yeah, you can't force mother nature. They, if you let go and open up, you know, mother nature leads you to where you're supposed to be, you know? And so I'm just kind of trusting a little bit more, opening up a little bit more. I mean, I'm a, I am a control freak and I try to force things and I've really learned not to force shit now. Just let's, let's, let's take it easy. Let's go right along with it and see where it leads us. And it's been slowly building and having a ball being part of that. Yeah, and, and you know, if we can transition now a little bit, the journey has led you to us. And part of that is because you have some special pre-rolls dropping in our home state here in Colorado as yes. a green solution. How cool is that? <laughs> We're in the, in the first state of cannabis. I'm yes. there. The original. Yay. Welcome. <laughs> Thank you. It's so nice to be there. I mean, I've been friends with like, you know, Andy Williams and Medicine Man for, you know, they've actually helped me. He's been kind of a mentor to me, Andy. You know, Andy and I went to the same the same college. Oh, really? Yeah, in Pueblo where Lucy even grew up. So it's kind of a small world. Yeah, I, I spoke with Andy last night. We were talking. Uh, anyway, I, so I've always wanted to be there. They're the pioneers, they're the risk takers, and uh, they're farther along in, in the mechanics and the science. And uh, we are partnering up with the Green Solution, which I was there last week for two days filming in all their facilities. Uh, they are really impressive. Uh, the Green Solution has, I think, like 23 dispensaries. Mm -hmm. and access to many, many more. Uh, but you know, they got a five-tier grow. And Mike, the grower there, is like brilliant, crazy as a loon. But so <laughs> am I. We ended up dancing together. You know, We had a ball together. We put up a little band in the grow, and I played for the employees. Oh, my gosh. How oh, cool. But what a great group of people. And their manufacturing facility is spotless, spotless. They're wearing nuts and gloves and coats and masks. And, you know, your shoes have to be clean and covered. And uh, the chocolates they make, the gummies they make, 
I mean, they, they, they have it down. It is a beautiful, beautiful grow. Actually, they're celebrating their 10th anniversary on October 24th. Oh, oh wow. okay. How long they've been around, 10 years. Nice. And uh, Danny Aykroyd and I are going to come to help celebrate that 10th anniversary and launch the Blues Brothers in Colorado on that How day. How cool is that? That's so exciting. That's so exciting. you guys, October 24th, the Blues Brothers pre-rolls are coming to Colorado. Be there. Be there. Green Solution. We'll be there. At the Green Solution. So tell us a little bit more about, you know, the Blues Brothers brand and, you know, how hard was it to get everybody behind using, you know, the Blues Brothers and just tell us a little bit more about that. Well, it's in the TV show. The TV show definitely represents the kind of reality. Yeah, was it that was it that easy, I guess? It wasn't that easy. (laughs) (laughs) It wasn't that easy. And, you know, put me through some emotional changes that we captured on film. Mm -hmm. And, you know, unfortunately, you know, we had to cut nine minutes out of every episode. And so there was a lot cut. Uh, So some, I feel some of the context was lost, but people seem to enjoy it. So I, I, you know, you just, as an artist, you can't let go of anything, you know? Oh yeah, I know. I know what you mean. uh, You know, I mean, seriously, the, you know, it was John and Danny and Judy. It wasn't mine. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, I had to ask permission and, you know, they really protect that brand. It's been around for 40 years. Uh, And so it wasn't just an easy ask. I had to really prove to them that I had a plan. that this was for real and it wasn't just Jimmy going off on some cockamamie thing, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I had to prove myself and earn it. And by the end of the show, I earned it. Yeah, no, and I think I think that's a huge part of any time you're building a brand. And, you know, I know you, you spoke about it in a couple other places, but, you know, you've really developed a whole storyline and a purpose with the Blues Brothers brand. And I think that's what's incredible about it. I think it represents something yeah. that it's huge. You know, it's a, it's a brand. Yeah. I mean, you know, and it's been a brand for 40 within years in our, within our industry. The only branding that exists is a pretty box and maybe a clever name, but there's no emotion or story behind it. Uh, you know, and I think blues brothers is the only brand that's coming out because it's, it truly is a 40 year old brand. Right. And, and, and what that brand represents emotionally to people, it speaks to them. And the, and what it represents is music and that joy of your body feeling the resonance of that music and the fun from in the movie was so fun and funny and also a mission from God and in the movie was about helping orphans and in uh, in our industry it's about putting people on a pathway to healing. PTSD, Alzheimer's, headaches, sleeplessness, hopelessness, depression, uh, you know, epilepsy, seizures, and also, you know, this enhancing music and the taste of food and the touch of your lover's skin. It also sparks creativity. It also makes you feel good. And when you feel good, you become lighter which is closer to enlightenment. Yes. You, you become closer to 
empathy and compassion. And this is all in the wellness of cannabis. And this is all in the mission from God. And this is all in the Blues Brothers. So it's a perfect branding for what I believe encompasses this beautiful plant. And it's a non-violent medicine. Absolutely. Right. I mean, I uh, I've said this before, I said on the show, and that is when I was a, a bouncer in Chicago, I never broke up a fight between two potheads. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, you know, alcohol, and I do have a drink once in a while, so I'm not knocking it. Used, not abused. You know, but alcohol has you know, destroyed the fabric of America. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, the alcoholism, the drunk driving, the killing of people, the breaking down and collapsing of marriages, which is traumatic for children. It's traumatic for the people who are getting divorced. You know, my brother, somebody dying in your family is a traumatic event, and that's from addiction. But there's also other traumas that happen, losing a job, losing a home, losing your ability to work. The illness in the family, somebody who has epilepsy, it, it, you know, brings the focuses the family and it's hard on a family and makes, a, it can make a family collapse. But in cannabis, you can help heal that epilepsy and, and maybe help the family be, stay together. I mean, the number one fear in life is death. The number two fear in life is the collapse of family. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And what causes the family to collapse? And I think when you trace it, there's some kind of addiction going on. Addiction comes into a family like a snake and crawls up the legs and the body and the torso until it comes around the neck and slowly strangles until somebody dies. And my brother died. And it exploded my family. Like throwing a hand grenade in it. Shrap metal rip the people the ptsd i experienced from that is fucked me up man and this plant has really helped me heal you know that's something that i wanted to bring up today because i've experienced that in that in my family and i can attest you know addiction it wasn't me it was my brother and uh it, it affects everybody in different ways. It affects, you know, and that's something that I think isn't really talked about with addiction so much is that it affects more than the person that it's affecting. It affects the family. Come on. I mean, there's the there's adult children of alcoholics. There's, a, there's an AA group about it. It's like, of course it affects the family mm-hmm. because the family collapses and you live in fear and worry and you make choices based in fear instead of love. Of course, I'm sorry to hear that. The addiction is horrible. You were saying he was addicted to heroin? Addicted to heroin, yeah. And I think, um, you know, heroin's rough, man. I don't know if anybody's ever had a heroin addiction in their family, but that's, uh, you know, a snake analogy that you just use is, is pretty comparable to what it feels like. Uh, I yeah. felt pretty helpless, you know, and I had to watch my parents be pretty helpless and try everything in their power to, like, correct it and... I even changed my major in college to psychology under the guise of that I was going to try to learn some stuff to even help my own brother. And I think in the end, all I did was try to help myself because that's what I learned that there's, there's not a lot you can do until the person, you know, changes or makes that conscious choice. And then sometimes, you know, there's changes in the brain chemistry that just make that not possible. And 
the best thing you could do is just worry about your own health and wellness going forward and make sure that you're taking care of at the end of the day and, and try to be there for your family and support well, that, That's the problem when, when there's addiction in a family. It sucks the life out of everybody else because it becomes the focal point of the purpose of the family and you lose sight of yourself. Exactly right. And you compromise yourself. And and then and that's what's great about those CODA meetings and the Al-Anon meetings is that they teach you to, whoa, you're losing sight of yourself. Take care of yourself first. Do what you can, but take care of yourself first. And you lose that. And that ends to a collapse. That ends to you marrying somebody and getting divorced because you had a collapsed life that you didn't understand. Oh, yeah, man, it's terrible. It's terrible. And I think one thing that helped me was cannabis. And that was about five years ago. And I can still say, guys, I'm still trying to figure myself out and figure out how to manage it and how to deal with it. And it's like a process. But I can confidently say the one thing that has been a good thing to lean on throughout all of this is cannabis. And I will never back down from that, ever. Look, that's a simple point of my show. And that is... You know, and I've talked about this before. Forgive me if I'm repeating myself, but I really believe that everybody is screaming inside, screaming with anxiety, screaming with fear, screaming from pain, screaming from not understanding your pain. And that sound you can hear in your ears. And what we, we try to manage it. How do we manage the screaming? I know how we manage the screaming in our society. We have a drink. We have two drinks. We drive fast. We gamble. We uh, you know, have inappropriate sexual things that happen. We, we do drugs. Yep. We do um, ambient to sleep, Xanax to calm down, Valium to pull your body down the quiet screaming and most of us that are trying to quiet the screaming come from some kind of collapsed family or a victim of some tragedy true victims whether it's sexual abuse or being physically abused or being a veteran that watch these people get blown up in front of them their friends i mean we're all screaming. And all I'm trying to say is instead of reaching for that hard liquor, instead of reaching for that Xanax, Ambien, that opiate, that Oxycontin, instead of gambling your, your family's money away, take, take a little edible. Take 2.5 milligrams of an edible if you haven't never smoked or tried cannabis. Take five milligrams, like a warm hug. It'll man. It's not going to cure it. It's just going to help manage the screaming. And then when it's managed, and you're in that peaceful state that cannabis can bring you, you can start thinking a little bit actually clearer. Yeah, absolutely. Making some better choices and finding a path to help. I, I don't I don't believe that there's hopelessness for us that scream. And I believe that cannabis can really help. Yeah, I really just want to reach through this computer and give you a big hug because, you know, I think what you just said is it really resonates with me and it's going to resonate with a lot of others. And 
Um, I think it's a very serious topic that not a lot of people talk about, and that's kind of mental health and, and taking care of your own mental health. Well, my son, you know, first of all, there's been addiction in my family, right? Obviously, I'm John Dine. Uh, my son has been sober for 13 years now. That's great. And we, we, yeah, we had a little trouble. We didn't talk for many years, which was cool. It was supposed to be that way. We're talking now. And he said, Dad, you know how crazy this is? <laughs> You're selling pot? <laughs> he goes, you put me in rehab for a joint. <laughs> I said, first of all, that was 15 years ago, maybe even 20. That actually was 25 years ago, now that I look at it. And you you got caught in school, and they said you either go to rehab or you get, they're going to kick you out of this private school. Yeah. And I supported it. Yeah. Second of all, it was a different time. Right. It's not like now. The research is so much better. Third of all, I was acting out of fear because my brother died of a drug overdose, and I didn't. I wanted to stop with my generation. Yep. And yeah, I was on you. But now I have to apologize to you, son, because you know what? You needed the medicine. You suffered through uh, a terrible divorce. You suffered many ways, and you you were screaming in your body. And you needed it, and I apologize. And then he said, well, but I was doing other stuff, you know. And I went, okay. That's okay. <laughs> that's the point. <laughs> <laughs> All right, yeah. You were doing a lot of other stuff. Uh, yeah, let's get rid of that shit. <laughs> yeah. You know, I was the same way. After after everything with my brother, I'll be honest with you, and we may have touched on this in the show, but uh, I was pretty anti-drugs for a really long time, and it was only my experience uh, five years ago when I discovered cannabis. And I still have friends and stuff that will – hit me up and say, you know, Jared, this is the craziest thing. You're a weed smoker now. Like, you used to give me shit for smoking weed in our apartment in college. That's my point. If we knew what cannabis was in 1979, 78, 1980, if we really knew what it was, it was still classified as a drug. And we were hip to be doing drugs. And it was all together. Coke, acid, everything was together. Uh, you know, uh, but now we can separate cannabis from that group, separate it from Schedule One, separate it because it it's, it helps with a pathway to healing. I believe if we knew what we know now back then, I think John would have been a pothead and would have been alive today. Yeah, yep, absolutely. I agree with that. The same thing I said to my son. If I knew when you were you know fifteen and you were suffering. You know, if I knew, I would have backed off a little. I wouldn't have proved it because it's not illegal, but I would have backed off and said, hey, this kid needs some medicine. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's what's cool about cannabis is that definitely, regardless of it, it helps change perceptions. And I think that's kind of how all of us are, like looking back, like, shoot, I wish I wish I'd have known that 10 years ago. So tell us, you know, um, on this kind of line, there's a documentary coming out about your brother. Oh, I saw it. I saw it. Actually, I saw it twice. It is, uh, first of all, it's the best depiction of my brother John as an artist, uh, as a person, and the struggle of being an artist. And his pure tenacity, his madness, his mad genius, and his drive, and, 
and to see the people around him, how he affected them and how they respected him, from Harold Remus to Bill Murray to Chevy to, I mean, he, he was quite a beautiful, powerful creature. Yeah. Um, but there's also a deep, deep sadness when I watched it because it really brought back the grief yeah. that maybe I postponed in my own life around it. It is, it is really a beautiful, moving documentary, I have to say. And I had nothing to do with it. Mm. Well, I had two things to do with it, but little things, you know what I mean? Maybe that's good, you know. I think maybe this is healing for you. Oh, my God. <laughs> my daughter saw it. <laughs> <laughs> and, I mean, she cried for you know, probably half of it. She said, I can't stop crying. I said, well, I said, that grief you're feeling while you watch it, know that Judy and I, and people, Billy and everyone in my family, that feeling we've had for decades that we've been trying to manage. Right. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely a really good healing process for you This TV show that I did and this cannabis thing is part of me understanding how to manage that. And it's such a nice show because it brings it all full circle to where, geez, I'm doing the Blues Brothers with Danny. I got the family back, that collapsed family. And yep. mm-hmm. It's all with this leading with this plant. Anyway, my daughter said to me after watching, she went, oh, my God, I shouldn't be so hard on you, Dad. I went, no, <laughs> I, wouldn't, I want oh, you help, God. baby. <laughs> it's all coming full circle now. That's that's a beautiful story. I love it. We can't wait to watch it. You know, it sounds like it's a very touching documentary and um, moving, yeah. not even touching. Oh, yeah. Touching to me is sentimental. This is real and it's moving. I think it's what's needed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's going to be an important piece. These guys made it. I don't even know their names. They just they did a hell of a job. That's really great. I mean, of course, like in anything, you miss this. Like in my TV show, they had to cut stuff, and it's like I could feel the cuts. But uh, and I'm, st- you know, knowing the whole story, they, they, you know, there's some things missing. But you, you, know, you only have an hour and forty minutes, forty five minutes. But they really did a great job. That's great. Well, uh, you know, we appreciate your vulnerability on our show. I think that's a huge part of all of this. Really, just being vulnerable and putting yourself out there. So, you know, thank you, Jim, and thanks for all that you're doing for us and everybody else who uh, who's affected by this and who needs some. Some management. Manage the screaming, yes. And October 24th, we're coming with that beautiful, beautiful Blues Brothers uh, brand and joints. And we got little point two fives, little six pack working man's brand. We got point sevens. We got a full gram joint. Uh, and again, you know, we were saying earlier, I didn't quite finish because I'm talking so much, I interrupt myself. Uh, and that is that the emotion tied to the Blues Brothers is real branding because there is story behind it. There is context behind it. It's not just a pretty box. Absolutely. So I hope people enjoy it and I hope it helps them manage their screaming. I think so. It's a mission from God and I, I think you're already accomplishing some of the goals you already set out to do. So this is awesome. Hey, I do have one more thing. We kind of forgot this too. 
Is there going to be more growing Belushi? Well, you know, it's a little premature, but we are in uh, deep, deep discussions on the second season. That's great. But it's not something I can announce, and it's not something I can say. I could probably get in trouble for that. That's no worries. It's very deep. (laughs) I love it. Well, we know a lot of people are dying to see more. Everybody we talked to was like, is there more episodes? I only saw three. And we're like, there's no more. (laughs) So I think people are down. They would have saw six 30-minute episodes. They put it on the way I wanted it, but they crammed it. I mean, think about it. They they cut eight minutes out of six. Six times eight is what? 48 minutes. That's an hour. That's a whole episode, yeah. Full show. It could have been four episodes. So anyway, I'm still, I got to let go of that. Let go, let go, Jim, let go. <laughs> well, if you do need a stunt double, if you need a stunt double, Jim, count me in. We'll come up there. All right. All right, Jim. Well, thank you so much. Um, you guys, with that, I'm lit. I'm lucid. And that's it. Laters. Congratulations on your hundred.